We continue in our series today called The Jesus, Not That I Want, But The Jesus That I Need. And it's an important topic, it's an important series for us, whether you're Christian or not, because even Christians, what we, we can tend to do at times is twist and mold Jesus into the Jesus that I want him to be. And I can have the expectations of Jesus, of who I want him to be, but not who he really is. And so it's important for us to open up Scripture and let Scripture tell us who exactly Jesus is and what he came to do. Because as we look at who Jesus is, we see that he's really the Jesus that I need. Many people want to change Jesus, and we've said this the last couple of weeks, many people want to change Jesus into a, a Jesus who grants us wealth, health, physical well-being, friends, good relationships. And while Jesus does those things, He's also so much deeper than that. He's a Savior who saves us from sin, from death, and from the devil. And so it's important for us to open up Scripture and see who Jesus is. And today, we're going to look at he, uh, that He's the Jesus that we need, someone who meets our needs. And honestly, that's pretty easy to say, isn't it? When things are going well. When you have relationship bliss. When you're wealthy. When you're healthy. When you're blessed. It's easy to say, ah yes, Jesus is the one who meets my needs. Look it. He's doing it. But it's a lot harder to say Jesus is the one who meets my needs, when I don't have wealth, when my health is failing, when my relationships are falling apart, when hardships and difficulties and sufferings come in this life, it's hard to look and say, you know what, Jesus is the one who meets my needs. Then it's hard. And yet it's a sad reality that life is filled with difficulties and hardships and suffering. So the question we want to answer today that we ask and we're answering is this. How can I live in suffering with hope? How can I live in suffering with hope? And to answer that question, we're going to look at John chapter 9. John is one of the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're the good news of Jesus that's what the word gospel means, good news. Uh, and John was written around 90 A.D. John was the apostle of Jesus, disciple of Jesus, and he wrote his account, his firsthand account, of what Jesus did and said throughout his ministry. And in John chapter 9, John tells us about an, uh, an account, a, a time when Jesus and his disciples come up to a man who was born blind. Here's what we're told. As he went along, he, that's Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Let's stop right there. Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, Jesus, why did this happen? Why did this man, how come he was born blind? 
Whose fault is it? Cause and effect. What did somebody do that caused this man to be born blind? Either way, it doesn't seem fair, does it? Think about it. The poor guy is in the womb of his mother, and if it is his parents who sinned that caused this man to be born blind, how fair is that? It's the parents' mistake, it was the parents' fault, it was the parents' decision, and now he has to live with blindness for the rest of his life. That doesn't seem fair. At the same time, what could the man in the womb do to cause himself to be born blind? What sin could he commit in the womb? Now, the Bible does say we are conceived in sin, but what act could he have done the cause and effect to bring this into his life? Why, Jesus? And I think we can relate to that question, can't we? We see someone suffering, or suffering comes into our life, and what do we want to know? Why? Why did this happen? How could this happen? Why did it happen to us? Why did it happen to me? Jesus, why? It's a sad reality that suffering exists in this world. It's a sad reality that there's difficulties and hardships. It's a sad reality that people like this man are born blind and with all kinds of illnesses and and things like that. It's a sad reality that things happen in this life. Suffering is in the world because of the big umbrella of sin, yes. There wouldn't be suffering in this world, there wouldn't be difficulties and hardships if it wasn't for Adam and Eve bringing sin into the world. Suffering is a direct result of that overarching sin. However, there are kind of three subpoints under there that bring suffering as well. Number one, like the disciples say, why is this man born blind? Did he sin? And that's one cause of suffering in our life. I have choices. I make choices. If I make a sinful decision, I have to live with the consequences that come from that sin. And so sometimes I make bad decisions. I make sinful decisions that lead to suffering in my life as a natural consequence. The second sub-point is sometimes I suffer because of what someone else does to me. For instance, if somebody's out drinking and they get drunk and they decide to drive home drunk and I'm driving on the road at the same time, if they hit me, they bring suffering into my life and into my family's life and I was simply the victim of their sinful decision. It's exactly what the disciples said, right? Who sinned? This man, did he cause it? Or did his parents, somebody else cause it? But then there's a third one, and the third one is sometimes suffering just happens because we live in a sinful world. The man's born blind, not because of anyone's fault, but because we live in a sinful world. And that's the unfortunate reality. Suffering, difficulties, hardships come into our life because we live into a, in a sinful world and there's not always a direct cause and effect relationship between the suffering that happens. 
But it doesn't really matter why the suffering comes. It doesn't really matter why the hardships or difficulties come into our life. The question still remains, why? It doesn't really matter which one it falls under. It still hurts. It's still painful. And it's not fun to endure. Sometimes that suffering lasts for a little bit. Sometimes it lasts maybe 30 to 40 years like this man. We're not told how old he is, uh, but later in the chapter his parents say, well, go ask him. He's of age. In other words, he's a grown man. Go ask him. And so maybe he was about 30, 40 years, and for 30 to 40 years this man's blind. Or sometimes suffering lasts an entire lifetime. Either way, it hurts, and we want to know why. Here's how Jesus responds. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, nobody sinned. There was no direct cause and effect that made this man born blind. However, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in this man's life. And what did Jesus do? The verses aren't here, but Jesus ends up spitting in the dirt, creates mud, puts it on the man's eyes, and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and he does, and he comes back seen. A man born blind comes back seen. He healed the man. Brought him out of blindness into sight. And the works of God were displayed through him. To whom? First of all, to the man, right? The man saw the works of God in his own life. He endured suffering suffering blindness for 30, maybe 40 years, and Jesus healed him and he saw the works of God in his own life. Do you think that strengthened his faith? The disciples witnessed this man born blind come back seen. Strengthened their faith. The man's neighbors, the man's friends, the people at the temple, the synagogue, know this man because for 30 to 40 years, what did he have to do? Beg for food. Beg to be provided for. Because if you were blind in the first century, you couldn't work. People knew him. And now they witness that this man who was born blind can now see. How could it happen? This man named Jesus of Nazareth. The works of God displayed through this man. Jesus point to the disciples. We can focus on all the whys and the how comes and, and why did this happen. But instead Jesus says, Turn your perspective and watch how God works through darkness. I didn't have this as your point because I thought about it after they were already printed. Uh, But if you're a note taker, here's a point for you. Sometimes God uses our darkness to share his light. Sometimes God uses our darkness to share his light in this world, to us, to others. Do you want to know how we can live with hope 
in the midst of suffering. It's because our God never wastes darkness. Our God never allows us to suffer without displaying the light of his love, the light of Jesus in our life through that darkness. This man endured 30 to 40 years of darkness, quite literally. And yet the glory of God, the light of the world was displayed through this man to a whole bunch of people. And the same is true for you. No matter what suffering, what hardships, what difficulties you go through, God promises that he will display his light through those hardships and difficulties and sufferings that you're enduring. He promises it. And because of that hope, we can have a perspective change. We no longer need to have a victim mindset where we say, God, why me? God, why did you allow this to happen to me? How come this happened to my family? Woe is me and get bitter at God. We can change that perspective instead to saying, God, this hurts. Jesus, you know this is difficult. This isn't easy. It crushes me. But I know that you're not going to waste this. I know that your light is going to shine through this darkness. Let me see it. Let me see it. Because you promised that God's darkness, or God's light, is shining through even the dark times of my life. Let me see you work. You see, if we want to live in suffering with hope, it starts there by knowing that God never wastes our darkness, but that he will use that darkness to shine his light into our hearts and into the lives of other people. But then, we also have hope knowing that Jesus is the Almighty God who can provide for all our needs. And that's your first point that's in your worship folder. Jesus opens my eyes to see he meets all my physical needs. What do we learn about Jesus from this section of Scripture? He's powerful. He can do anything. He can do the impossible. He can take a man who was born blind for 30 to 40 years and heal him. He can do anything. He can not only heal you, he can not only work and and end the suffering, but he also provides for all your needs through it. For 30 to 40 years, this man had to beg. For 30 to 40 years, this man was born blind and he needed someone to provide for him and Jesus met all of his needs. All of them. And this was the mindset that we saw from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4. Paul was in a dark and dungy Roman prison. Probably had rats running around, mice running around. Uh, it, It wasn't like a prison today. And yet, what did Paul say? My God can and will meet all of your needs. Because he witnessed it. He experienced it. Whenever Paul had a need, God met it in some way, shape, or form through his people. And that's true for you and me too. As we go through the darkness of hardships and difficulties and sufferings of this world, we have the great promise 
that not only will God shine his light through the darkness, but we also have the promise that Jesus is the almighty God who can and does meet our physical needs that we have. And he will continue to take care of us through it all. That's what this man found out. That's what this man had a promise of, and it's what you and I have the promise of too, especially as we look at the full context of Scripture. Jesus heals this man, and he's so excited. Everyone sees him. Jesus met his physical needs. He's the almighty God. However, the man opens his eyes, and Jesus isn't there. And so where does he go? To the temple. He gets to the temple, and people start recognizing him as a man born blind, and they say, hang on, where did you get healed? And he says, this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. On a Sabbath day? Doing any work on the Sabbath was a no-no, and so the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders were upset, and the man said, but he's a prophet from God. And so what did the Jewish religious leaders do? Promptly kicked him out of the temple. And Jesus went to go find him. Here's what we're told. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. I just imagine this conversation between the man and and Jesus. Uh, Jesus was smirking the whole time. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Which was an Old Testament title for the coming Messiah. So do you believe in the Messiah? Sir, tell me who he is, so I can believe in him. And Jesus, I, I just, I got to imagine, had a smirk on his face, said, the one you're looking at, the, the one you're talking to, I'm him. And the man worshipped him and believed. See, what the man found that day was more than just physical sight, to see that Jesus is, is God who takes care of all his physical needs. He, he saw more than, than just having his eyes open for the first time. He saw his Savior, the one who meets all his spiritual needs. And that's your last point today. Jesus is the one who meets all of our spiritual needs. See, what this man found out was Jesus was more than just a a miracle worker. He was more than someone that could just open his physical eyes and provide for his needs. Jesus is the God of this world who meets all of our needs, but most importantly, his spiritual needs. He came to know Jesus as the one who would forgive him of his sins, the one who would rise from the dead, the one who would bring him to eternal life and end all suffering. We don't know how this man's life turned out. We don't know much about him. What we do know, what we can safely assume, is that he had suffering and heartache happen to him again. How do we know? Because he had two parents. You want to talk about heartache, having to bury your parents is heartbreaking. 
And yet, what did this man know? Because of Jesus, because of this Messiah standing right before him, who not only opened his physical eyes, but opened his spiritual eyes, he knew that eternal life was coming. And the same is true for you and me. Do you want to know how we can live with confidence and hope even in the midst of suffering? Yes, Jesus doesn't waste the darkness and he will shine his light through it. Yes, he will provide for our physical needs. But most importantly, Jesus has provided for every single one of your spiritual needs. The light of the world, when he died on the cross, shined his light to scatter the darkness of your sin from your heart. The light of the world died. It went out. But it came back to life as Jesus rose from the dead. So that his eternal light shines into the the darkness of your tomb, the darkness of your grave. Jesus, the light of the world, makes it so that we know that as we go through the dark tunnel of suffering in life, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not just a place, it's a face. The face of our Lord Jesus waiting for you. It's because of him that all your spiritual needs are met. It's because of him that you know that no matter what suffering you go through, it's all going to come to an end one day as you meet your Savior face to face. So that what you see right now only through the eyes of faith, you'll see with your physical eyes for eternity. It's a Savior who loves you, who's redeemed you, and who's won forgiveness and eternal salvation for you. When that day comes, it will only be bliss. It will only be joy. And there will be no pain, no suffering, no mourning ever again as you see your Savior for eternity. He truly is the Savior who meets all of our needs. And that's what he knew. That's what he knows. He had been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, the treatment plan was an aggressive form of chemo and radiation. And the whole procedure, the whole treatment plan would would last almost a a whole year. And as the, the chemo and radiation went on, he had the normal symptoms of chemo and radiation. He lost his appetite, he was nauseous, lost his hair, he was tired, he was fatigued, he was in pain. The radiation burned up his insides and burned up his throat to the point where he couldn't swallow anymore, and so he had to be fed through a feeding tube just to get nutrition. And yet, no matter where he went, he was always filled with joy. Other people looked and said, how could this happen to such a godly man? Why did this happen to him? How could it happen to such a nice guy? And yet everywhere he went, he never had that victim mentality. Instead, he was always joyful and thankful and positive. And finally, his doctor took notice. And his doctor said, how how are you maintaining your positivity through all of this? I see a lot of patients and none of them are as positive as you with what you're going through. How are you so positive? And he said, because I have a Savior named Jesus. This suffering, it hurts. But it's temporary. One day it will end. 
And when that, when that suffering ends, I will be in heaven with my Savior Jesus. And I'll never suffer again. It's temporary right now. It's hard. It's difficult. But it's going to end one day. Either when I'm healed or when I'm by my Savior's side seeing him face to face for eternity. See, the man knows his Savior. He knows he's a Savior who meets every one of his needs. And you have that Savior too. How do you live through suffering with hope? Knowing you have a Savior who will display his light even in the darkness. You have a Savior who meets your physical needs. You have a Savior who's met every single one of your spiritual needs so that you know that all the difficulties and sufferings in this life will come to an end as you meet your Savior face to face. Until then, look for the light. It's there. Until then, look for how your Savior provides for your physical needs. He does. And cling on to the hope of the resurrection. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you are the light of the world. Uh, the light no darkness can overcome, the Bible says. We thank you for the light of your forgiveness, the light of your life. We thank you for shining the light into the uh, graves, our graves, that will one day be empty because your grave is empty. We thank you that you are the light of the world, that you've opened our eyes, that we may see you as our Savior, the Savior from sin, the Savior from death, and the Savior from the devil. As we go through this life, we will face difficulties and hardships and suffering. You tell us that in, in later on in the book of John as well. Uh, however, we, ha we have a Savior in you who's overcome all the sufferings, all the sin, all the death of this world. And now we wait until that day when we get to be by your side forever, when all sorrow and suffering ends. Thank you for that. Fill us with hope. Fill us with confidence even through the suffering. Let us see your light. Let us see how you're providing. Uh, and let us cling to you, knowing that you are using all of this for our eternal good as you bring us to your side in heaven. Help us to cling to you, continue to strengthen our faith in you as our Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.